Hi everyone, my name's Steve and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that would love 10 minutes in the locked room with Stefan Savage and a great big stick. On today's pod, we're going to be looking back on that crazy evening in Madrid, as well as looking ahead to Ding Ding Round 2 with Liverpool at Wembley tomorrow. Do the Reds have an advantage after resting key players midweek, or do City have the edge because we're the best team in the land and all the world? To discuss this and more, I'm joined by my regular cohort, Howard, as well as a 93-20 debutant in the form of Liz Trey. Liz, welcome aboard. How's things? Not bad. It's been a long, strange week. Yes, you were telling us off air. Work-wise, it's been strange, and hopefully it'll pick up this weekend. Yeah, actually, I've got to work this weekend. Funnily enough, I'm working oh. for t- You know, I've got... You know, that's all right. I don't mind. Not 3.30, though, tomorrow. Right, cool, cool. And what about you, Howard? Are you... Where are you going to watch the game? Uh, well, I can't leave the house, so... <laughs> of course! I saw your tweet before. It's another second line. Yeah, I'm still COVID positive, so... Uh, I think I'm going to my friends to watch it because he's COVID positive as well <laughs> from the same football match. Is, is there a danger that you could both kind of double down on your COVID from doing that? I don't think we can repass <laughs> it back on to each other. Uh, well, he's tested negative now. Anyway, I haven't. Right. Uh, but I'm pretty sure we've both got it at the Atletico Madrid home match last week. So wow. I should mm. be negative soon. You see, all you need to do is paint a big red X on the door, you know, Typhoid Mary mm. and all that. <laughs> yeah, so I can't go in anywhere. I can go into his house. That's safe. Yeah. Uh, so I expect I'll go and watch it at his house. The match. So I can't. I can't handle three matches watching by myself. But three no. matches of these magnitude as well during the last week. It has not been good timing. So. It's been a nervy, weird, crazy week. And, and let's kind of dive straight in. I mean, I'll start with you, Liz. The, the Atletico game, and um, the first kind of. 80 minutes or so, kind of played out how we anticipated. Then Atletico started to throw the kind of kitchen sink at City, but then threw headbutts and punches too. I mean, how did you respond to that kind of the last few minutes and basically their their, their tactics, for want of a better word? I think I just felt kind of sad. I felt a little bit, because, you know, obviously they, they'd spent three quarters of the entire game parking the bus, which is absolutely fine. I've got no problem with that at all. Mm. And for the second half, they actually played some football and they had a go at us and we were really on the ropes a little bit. And it was nice to see the team actually um, sort of, you know, it bonds them better to win like that. Yes. That's what I yeah. think. Um, but when it, and you could, you know, it, it wasn't like when Simeone, who I think we short circuited that guy, like seriously, when he started doing that weird clapping thing and he was sort of turning around and clapping sort of manically to the entire, I thought, this is odd. Something <laughs> odd is going on. This is very odd. Um, and we'd seen quite a lot of previous and I thought the referee, I, look, we, we all know Champions League officiating is quite mediocre at times, but this was a guy from the Bundesliga, so I don't know what his excuse was for just basically letting everything go. So he's made a rod for his own back there. That's the problem. If he'd have booked the guy for the challenge on Foden at the beginning, Yes. I think maybe he could have possibly kind of like settled things a little bit. But because he let everything go, it created this mad atmosphere, sort of as well with the crowd, where everyone sort of went a bit funny in the head. And Savage, who maybe, I don't know, maybe he's a bit sore from not having made it at City, potentially. <laughs> um, he's obviously a much better player now. But he just, I think, to be fair, <laughs> Foden, I have never seen him roll five or six times yeah, like yeah, he did. Yeah. Never seen that before. And he made sure he rolled back onto the pitch. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a spinning quite, top, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was quite funny, I'd say. So you could really see that him rolling 
way back onto the pitch, really enraged Savage, which is why, you know, he came came over and yanked him and then it all kicked off. And I just thought, wow, you know, what's VAR for if it's not for a moment like this? Well, I mean, absolutely. The fact that VAR didn't intervene uh, with a headbutt in particular on Sterling was just outrageous. It, was, isn't it? it wasn't like a big, like, knock him over. It was a sort of more of a nudge. I suppose, into his head. But mm. I do think, you know, the officials are just, they don't really know what to do at a time like that because there's so much going on. There's like 25 players all jostling each other. So I do sort of get it, but I just felt like, can we just get out of here? Let's yeah, just yeah. get out of here yeah. and go home and just like get on with it. I mean, how would we've seen in the past that this, these kind of tactics work for Atletico? Um, do you think it was purposeful? I mean... How, how much of it was an act from Simeone to basically have a go at Savage and tell him to get on with the game, etc.? Or do you think Simeone was thinking at that point, no, we really are self-combusting here. This is entirely counterintuitive. Um, do you think he was being genuine and sincere in, in, in trying to calm his team down? Or, or was it a case of, you know, premeditated, basically, to just really try and ruffle off feathers in the last 10 minutes? No, it's all performative with Simeone, isn't it? So yeah. He was having to go at... Savage, because he was down with cramp, I think. But my, I would say my guess is that he was absolutely angry with Savage because he completely killed the momentum in the match. They did actually then go on and have another chance. A very good one, yeah. It was yeah. a staggeringly stupid thing to blow it up like that in the 89th minute. If you're going to do it, get someone else to get a yellow card and do it in the 60th minute, not the 90th. And they were playing well in the second half, so they didn't need to do the... What they did, uh, I think I saw a key point described. I have no problem with Atletico Madrid's style of play. I have a problem with their conduct, and they're two very different things. Mm. How they want to set up on a pitch is absolutely their right, in the same way other teams like Burnley do. Uh, I, I just found it staggering that in the 89th minute they would let, let that happen. Uh, when they were having such a good second half. Uh, it reminded me of the game about, yeah, Pellegrini, Real Madrid, the two legs in, was it 2016? Was it yes. his yeah. final season? Or 15, sorry. Uh, basically, a nil-nil, cagey nil-nil in the first start, uh, first game. The only problem with Pellegrini is they never actually went for it in the, in the final quarter of the time. They never went for it at all, and that's what got everyone so angry. So I can see Madrid's approach, but if you're going to turn it into a war, don't do it in the 89th minute. And I think Simeone was angry at Savage, really, for really starting that entire bust-up so late in the match. Because it got to the point that once it all calmed down, I had no idea how much the match was left anyway. Yeah. So I had no idea when the referee was going to blow the full-time whistle either. And it's, it, now the dust has settled, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. I, well done for taking on Madrid at their own game, to be honest. Uh, they had to do it. I just feel City of old in their first, in their early campaigns in the Champions League was so naive in this competition. Maybe they just weren't good enough as well at times, but they were so naive that they were played by other opposition teams that were more savvy. And this is just another facet of the team now that they'd have to learn how to play the game sometimes. I don't like the game, really. I don't like this, but... If you're going to succeed in this competition, you've got to have a bit of everything about you, good well, and bad. Yeah, I, I would attest that this has always been within, or not always, but in, certainly in the last few years, this has been within the City squad. They've got this mentality. They've got the, the capability to mix it up. Um, do you think, Liz, that 
And this is no criticism of the media. It's a, it's a compliment, of course. But do you think that they focus too much on the beautiful football and to that extent kind of stereotype City as being kind of, you know, a, a bit, bit kind of, you know, just like the nice things in life and not able to kind of mix it and get dirty? Because us as City fans, when we see us and we see our game management, um, at, particularly at the tail end of each season, we see that, you know, we, we are, we've got a little side of bastard to us. Yeah, we do. But I do think most of the time, not a lot of the time, we do play like that. We do play well. We do yeah. dominate possession. We do play beautiful football. It's like my dad calls it art football, like yes. the way we do it. So the fact, the, the grinding it out, it doesn't really happen that often, which is why the media wouldn't really write about it because we don't have a, we don't have to do that much. That's fair, yeah. If you think about Atletico, for example, they they're the, they're the champions. They're the Spanish champions, and apparently they won the title last season playing exactly like that, yeah. quite defensive, quite Mourinho like sort of that kind of thing. This season they're really far down in the league because they're not playing like that. So they figured the best way to do it was to play us like that and to sort of you know and to play like Mourinho. But you know we don't often. We don't often have to grind it out. We were clinging on in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes in particular. We were absolutely clinging on. I really, really thought, this is not good. They're going to definitely equalise. So the fact that they, we sort of hung on, especially without Kyle as well, you know, was really, really good. But, I, I you know, the media aren't going to write about Burnley. They're not going to write about us like that, are they? No, it's, it's a fair point. It's, um, I, I just feel that sometimes outsiders, because they don't watch City very often, don't fully understand that this, for me, this is a, a complete setup. What Pep has kind of built here is is it's a complete team, so we can get down and dirty if we if we need to, and we can obviously play beautiful football most of the time. And uh, I just feel that maybe we're just simplified a touch in the media, but again, it really is not a complaint from me. Well, I suppose so. I think in terms of the media, the the people who write about us, they write about us every week. They watch us every week. You know, they are like the correspondent for mm. City, for the Athletic, or the correspondent for the Guardian. So they are seeing us every week. And if we do lose, or we do, like for example, Southampton, where recently we see they were our bogey team, Southampton, where we kind of struggled over there. They were very, very honest about the fact that we just couldn't really seem to score. If we ever get a strike, it will be like everyone's in big trouble. <laughs> oh, we, we went on to the added. We, we went there, right? Okay. <laughs> Well, talking of which, there are rumours of Haaland increasing um, day by day, it feels, at the moment, Howard. And before we get to the FA Cup semi, are you gut instinct, and I know obviously none of us know, but gut instinct, do you feel that Haaland will be a City player next season? Ooh, yes. Well, I, I, when it's the rumours have been there for so long, obviously, and yeah. we knew there's going to be season-long rumours with multiple teams. Basically from August onwards, because it always felt like, well, his release clause is going to be activated the following summer. He's probably not going to stay in Dortmund, who are bits of a mess right now. I don't know. But they go through their injury crisis stage of their uh, developments, if you could call it that. And you always felt like he's, cu- he's going this summer. The rumours were going to go on for nine months. At the start of the season, I thought, we're, we're outsiders because agent, will we deal with him? Maybe. Yeah, just leave Pep out of it if he's got an issue with Rayola. Agent fees. Yes, we we spend lots on agent fees, but we always walk away when it's ridiculous amounts. And of course, the competition. Every team in Europe wants him. You know, every team, good, bad, yeah, whatever. But who could afford him? I and mean, there's only, we're looking at two, maybe three tops who could afford him. That, that was never the issue for me because we didn't buy anyone last season. And, well, we didn't buy a striker. And of course, Torres has gone. 
and the release fee is obviously way less than his market value. So the money side, I think that plus the agent's fees is a, if it's a hundred million, then so be it. The wages were is that if we, if we lose out, it's because he's wants to go to Spain and we won't pay wages of 500 grand a week. And that still may be the issue. I have no idea. I'm just man in the street, not having a clue what's going on behind the scenes. Now though, I'm way beyond 50%. Mm, but the bottom line is until he's there's a photo of him on the on the site with a pen in hand I'm not getting overly excited because it's such a big transfer and so complicated that I don't think you really can yeah there's people who say they've got an inside track saying it's a done deal it can't be a done deal until he signed that contract and it's so big a transfer with so many teams wanted him I don't you just can't say that until he's signed I'm quietly confident, I think, is where I've put my my level of confidence at the moment. The The main thing is, please, whatever happens, get it sorted by the beginning of the summer. Him, yeah. wherever he goes. We don't want to be at the end of this summer again wondering if we're going to sign this big-name striker we've been linked with. If it's not him, we've got to then move on and get someone else before yeah. the next season starts. Okay. Um, okay, let's turn our attentions to Wembley tomorrow. Um, off air, me and Liz were, were chatting about the possibility of Kevin De Bruyne featuring. I don't believe he will. Um, I think he'll be rested, and I've, I've heard he's got a bruised foot, but I'm not certain on that. Impact Li- injury is what Impact, yes. Uh, Liz, Problem you- is, if you're out for a week, a week's a long time at the moment, isn't it? Well, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's not the end of the world, is it, if it's a week? So. Um, Liz, you're... Maybe hopeful that he might start on the bench tomorrow, Kev? I think we should put him on the bench, even if he's not completely fit, because, you know, if it's 20 minutes to go and we're 1-0 down and we need something desperately, you don't, you, don't, you want the option. Mm. You need the option. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying we should play him if he's, if he's unfit, like absolutely unfit, do not put him on the bench. It's not worth risking him for the rest of the season, obviously. But, you know, it's either him or a kid on the bench, so why just not, like, take a little bit of a chance? By the way, about Haaland, I find that whole situation completely fascinating. <laughs> I have to say. Because I do think some City fans have kind of, not in a mean way, but sort of conflated this relationship that maybe doesn't exist with Haaland because of who his dad is. Yeah. And now we feel like the agent is going to try and play us off against Real Madrid because Mbappe may or may not be staying at PSG. So now there's a thing where it's like, oh, you know, oh, it's only 65 million quid or whatever. But all that means is the agent says, well, now you should pay him half a million pounds a week. Do you know what I mean? So, it, mm. yeah, that's a complicated situation. Anyway, carry on. Well, uh, yeah, it's going to play out over the summer, isn't it? And and uh, I've got to be honest. I mean, the, the Kane one finished me off. I, I for, for, Increasingly, in, in recent years, I've become so bored with transfer sagas, and I just I yearn for the days where you know Bernardo Silva would just pop up on my newsfeed, and it's like, mm. what we signed that lad from Monaco. So, do you know how I knew about that? Someone who will no longer speak to uh, Guardian, someone at the Guardian, told me uh, just sent me a message on the day saying City have reserved some advertising space for six pm. Right. <laughs> Which he said that means you're announcing a signing, and it's like, and on the day I was like, I've no idea who it is. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's brilliant, how under, isn't it? under the radar. It was, I can't it? imagine that happening now, and I mean, I'm desperate for us to sign Harland, but the actual chatter throughout the summer, I'm, I'm with you, Howard, as regards to we need to do it early if we're going to do it, and just for my peace of mind, really, more than anything else. Um, 
You know, no, by but, the way, I will say something interesting. Someone said last week that if we sign a striker, that will mean far less chances are created because you're removing one person from oh, the attacking midfield. Uh, yeah. So that's an interesting thing. I think I think we'll be all right. Even if Haaland doesn't come, I think we'll be all right. Absolutely. I, I, there is a part of me what wishes that we continue with this strikerless formation and mm. just get a really cool nickname, what goes down in, in a Mr. Time and kind of, you know, the kind of, I don't know, the forwardless greats or whatever and, and just win trophy and trophy. But... Yeah, no. it's going to be Haaland. No, get a striker. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No, I know. Yeah, get two strikers yeah. in the squad. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's go back to Wembley now and Kevin De Bruyne possibly on the bench, likely not. I mean, an impact injury though. I, I kind of you've swayed me to an extent there, Liz. I mean, why not have him on the bench if he is able and you know, kind of a pain injection, what what have you? But Cal Walker looks almost certainly out. Um, seen in a protect, protective boot this week. Um, how big a miss is he, Howard? Because his pace, the way he can counter counters, particularly against Liverpool and the speed in which we do counter. I mean, he he was key, wasn't he, last week? He's always been key in this fixture. He's a key player, simply has been for years and years and years. And no one really, I'm not talking about City fans, but no one really talks about him at all. Yeah. He's just, I mean, yeah, like, look, at Brighton at home, we can surely make do. Watford at home. If we could, yeah, we could put out great teams that should win those games. Liverpool F- uh, FA Cup semi-final, I'm sure we're about to discuss where does it list in the priorities anyway. I'm still thinking about the league. I'm just like, oh, just win the league, please win the league. Uh, him again, you know, someone like Vinicius in the semi-final, big loss not to have someone with his pace and savvy and just general skill set there to deal with a player like that. So it causes problems if he's not if he's not back for the semi-final, but he's a bit cursed in this competition after all, is he not? So mm. barely featured since that Leipzig game. So it's, it's a big loss, but we do have options. I mean, depends on how big the game is. John Stones, who's you know, just John Stones, absolute legend, can play there. But would you want him there in the biggest of biggest games? Yeah. You know, you could move Cancelo across. I take him has been brilliant. He can play at left back, but again, just depends about those fine lines when you're playing the very biggest games. If you want to move players around like that, so hopefully, if it's just a few weeks, it shouldn't. I mean, I say a few weeks. We're in the middle of April now. Yes, exactly. So a, one, yeah, yeah. a one month injury, and that's the season over. So yeah. let's just hope it's a couple of weeks at most. We've got a might be the small squad, but we've got a great squad we can cover. But I really would like him back for the, the first tie against Real Madrid, or at least the second tie. Yeah, especially because Cancelo's missing that yes. one because he's suspended, yeah. so that's absolutely massive. I don't think having both of them out, that would be kind mm. of disaster. But by the way, I completely agree. The priority is the Premier League. And last week, we actually did the job against Liverpool, and it's still in our hands. And if you'd have offered me a win last week, you know, or a draw last week, or a draw tomorrow, I'd take last week 100 yeah. times out of 100. Yeah, particularly with the two home games we've got coming up. Not for a second, of course, assuming that we're just going to get a six-point out, but we've got two winnable games coming up. Um, and then that really does give us momentum and that really does kind of, you know, impact upon Liverpool psychologically. Um, mm. But then again, you know, battering them 5-0 wouldn't do any harm tomorrow either. <laughs> what do you think the lineup might look like, Liz? Do you think Pep, because of course we've got some huge games coming up and in short space of time as well, do you think Pep will play kind of a weak inside to an extent? 
No, I think that I'm also, by the way, I'm a big fan of sort of, I'm a big fan of Gundogan. So I think that playing him last week and playing 4-3-3 is just, that's the smartest thing to do, mm. particularly against Liverpool. I think playing kind of essentially 4-2-4 against Liverpool is a big mistake. So hopefully it'll be largely the same as last week. I mean, who will he put in instead of Kevin, I suppose? I'm not really sure. Did Mares play last week? I don't think he did, did he? No, I, th- I think... Start. I, I'm, I'm anticipating Grealish to start tomorrow. Oh yeah, Grealish can start. I think yeah. he's. I think Grealish is delightful, and yeah. I think I'd be more than happy if he started. And his his passing has improved dr- dr- so dramatically. Um, he he never ever gives the ball away. And also, I, I want to pull Jack Grealish's hair um, in, in a kind of a playground way, you know, because I quite fancy him. He's a very good looking guy. Uh, no, I do love Jack, and I, I really hope he, he starts tomorrow and really kind of puts in a good performance. It was a really um, interesting interview this morning on the BBC. Did you see that? He was basically talking about almost he respects the rest of the team too much to shoot. Yes. So he wants to pass to them all the time. So it's quite weird. So he wants to sort of pass to them all the time where it, he should actually think, no, no, I'm as good as these guys. Mm. I can do, you know, I should be shooting. I should be selfish. I should be having a go. And I think, you know, that's the real Jack that I think he just needs to kind of be, you know, buffed up a little bit more by everyone else. Come, but even in training, he was like, the lads are like, why don't you shoot? So he always feels like, you know, he can be the Jack that we bought. We didn't buy him just so we could pass sideways. That's not why we bought him. That's, that's a strange thing because it's kind of like an inverse to um, Mores, whereas Mores really struggled in that first season to kind of change his style of play and, and, and he kept hold of a ball too often. Jack's gone too far the other way for me. Yes. And we just want to see glimpses of who was at Villa, but certainly in the performance he's putting in and his usefulness to City. And I don't mean that in a drug tree manner. I really do mean he's a very useful player right now for City, but we want to see something more and we want to see the Jack of old. And that would be one. Need wonderful. to be let off the leash a bit. Yes. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, what about you? How would you think, like, Stefan in goal? <sighs> I think he might, you know. Can I just ask, just broadly speaking, because this is quite a cliche, isn't it, in football, where for FA Cup and League Cup games, a lot of big clubs will play their backup keeper and then they'll get to the semi-final and final and play their first-team keeper. Do you do you ever think that's unfair? No, you have to be. <laughs> you have to be brutal. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You've got to make... You've got to give assurances to second keeper. Yes, because yes. It's a, well, one of the most difficult positions to fill in a squad because Stefan's too good to be sat on the bench every week. Let's be honest. He's more than good enough to be playing football at a high level every week. Mm. So you, this is why managers play cup keepers because they have to give them football. They have to give them something uh, to attain to. And who knows? Maybe he said, you stay in for this competition, whatever happens. If he has, then it's a very difficult position to go back on that. But you should be mate. You should be saying you're in there. But you know, if push comes to shove, I may change you later in the competition. I would want to play Edison. Ace, I made a great point. And playing Liverpool, the skill set of Edison is crucial in this game. Mm, yeah. Not that Stefan's can't kick a ball or yeah. isn't a good keeper, but we all know Edison on a different level, distribution wise, to anyone else. Yeah. And could be needed against a team that's going to press and. It was a big factor, wasn't it, against Liverpool last week where we played, I mean, it's described in the media as direct football. It was basically, you know, the the long diagonals just Mm. to bypass their press. And, of course, Edison is a key part of that. By the way, Edison nearly scored an own goal last week. (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) I'm just saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on. Do you not remember the whole Costel Pantillamon Joe Hart thing (laughs) uh, for the FA Cup final against Wigan when he decided to put Hart in and he let the ball sail over his head for the winner? Hmm. 
right? Now, come on, tell him on at six foot eight or whatever he was. That's <laughs> never, ever going to happen. So it's a very difficult situation. I think it's really unfair on Stefan if he doesn't play tomorrow. But what if he, what if you put Edison and he makes a massive blunder like he almost did last week? That's not good either. Well, I, I'm not even sure. I couldn't work out if it was a blunder or not. I mean, obviously it was when it rolled onto the field, but what was it? Why did, was that a dummy? What was he doing? He missed he... his kick, I think. I think he missed it. He sort of, he sort of missed his kick and he, yeah, that wasn't good. Oh. It wouldn't even have been his own goal, would it? I mean, can't remember who passed to him. But, <laughs> oh. It just gone straight in. It would have been a, another, an outfield player. It's maybe harsh on Stefan, but yeah, from a fan point of view you want to win the game I'm in a minority I'm a bit concerned about what team he puts out he's not going to throw kids in obviously it's not the pep way yeah uh, only he knows just he said we're in big trouble for the weekend but as I say pep, pep what pep says after the match he, he probably didn't know the state of the players uh, I was going to say check who's travelled but of course they've, they've travelled directly from Madrid to London so I think all the players will be at Wembley, whether they're injured or otherwise. Yeah. Maybe not Kyle Walker might have just flown back if he needs treatment or some rest or something. I just wonder the state, only Pep and those at the club know the state of the players after such a bruising encounter on Wednesday. See, I don't worry about this sort of thing. still out a very strong side, though. I don't worry about this sort of thing because, you know, they're all there. They're all professionals. They're all there to do a job. You can put anyone in and they'll they'll, they'll be able to do it. It's not like years ago where we would, you know, if, if company mm. didn't play, the entire team would fall apart. Mm. Or if Silver didn't play, the entire team would fall apart. We are past that era where everyone who comes in could do it, absolutely do a job. If it's only Kyle who's out tomorrow, we'll be fine. I, I agree with you as regards to our front three. But, you know, every week on, on this part, we'll discuss who, who Pep might play. And, and when we get to the front three, I do kind of think – Certainly against most teams, I'm happy with anyone, really, anyone who's available mm. of, of, of that kind of rotor he's got there. But I, I, I fancy Fernandinho to start tomorrow, and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But uh, I, I, I hope th- he doesn't. I mean, no offence, I love him, obviously, but he's 30, He's virtually 37 years old. Yeah. So actually playing him against Salah and Mane and Jota... Uh, it's not really a good idea, I don't think. With respect to him, Rodri has to play that part. But also, I actually think when De Bruyne is not there and Gundogan runs the show, he's incredibly mm. good at doing that as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, a certain look at the players who didn't start on Wednesday. You've got a, got Grealish, Sterling, Zinchenko, mm. Ake, Ruben Diaz. That's the big question, of course. Uh about whether he's ready to Yeah. Play. I think he'll he's start. Got half, you've got yeah. half of the he's great fit, team there already. Yeah. You can only have to play half of the starters who's on Wednesday. You know, mm. my my concern is fatigue, not have we got any good players. You know, mm. it's absolutely brutal, this period. And and I thought, originally when this tight, this draw was made, I thought both managers are going to make changes and see this as a third priority. But then Liverpool, Klopp, Rested a lot of players. Well, that's because he could. You know, they were three-one up. So, you know, if if we'd have actually put a couple more in Mm. against uh, Atletico in the first leg, we would have been able to do the same thing. And we sort of, we've done it to ourselves that basically, haven't we? Liverpool. And by the way, Jota and Salah have both picked up knocks. I'm sure they'll play. But it's you know, it's April. Everyone's tired. You know what I mean? It's really quiet. Everyone's exhausted. Liverpool run so much. They're going to be just as tired as us. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do you? But. Brighton on Wednesday is important. Yeah. Sorry. 
Sorry, I'll, well, I'll always dream about that league, lifting the league. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I try to think one game at a time. It's better for my stress. Yeah, level. yeah. I, I think that's how Pep will be looking at it. So. Yeah. Liz, how do you think this one will play out, um, particularly as regards to how do you think it will differ from last week? Do you think the intensity will be the same? Um, do you think that the kind of setup will be the same? I don't, oh God, how could the intensity be the same? That match was completely, <laughs> I mean, my God, you know, it was incredible. And the whole thing was in, incredible. I think, you know, we probably let them off the hook a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're at Wembley, it doesn't even, I mean, I know it's a semi and, you know, frankly, I don't think the semi should be played at Wembley at all. I think they should be on neutral ground, especially in this case, considering all the trains and stuff like that. I think that's outrageous of the yeah, FA absolutely. to not play it in, a, I don't know, you know, a, a ground that's not being used, you know, like Old Trafford. You know, we could put it there. Um, so I do think, you know, it can't possibly be as intense as last week. Um, but, you know, oh, God, <laughs> what's it going to be like tomorrow? If, if we get the same game, we're going to end up with a penalty shootout, and that's not good for anyone's ticker, is it? No, we've had that twice before, and, and I can't cope with that. I absolutely can't cope with that tomorrow. Yeah, I'll go for another walk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about you, Howard? How, how do you see it playing out? Yeah, absolutely no idea. Uh, <laughs> it, it can't... The intensity of last Sunday's was almost as as great as that classic 2-1 from the year with Sane. Yeah. It is football at the absolute highest level. It, it can't match that. In At this time of year, I've said somewhere this... This week, it's just a shame where how it's landed this match, really, because if you put it somewhere else, we could have gone having tons at it again. The two two best teams in Europe, I think. So I think there has to be a bit more reserved and cautious the game. But again, I absolutely guarantee it won't be a boring game, and <laughs> it's going to be a close game. And it's one of those I'd find it very hard to call. But City have only lost. One in nine now. One in nine, yeah. yeah. The players believe it's just going to be a brilliant match, basically. Who knows which way it will that, go. That's a hope that just, it's an enjoyable match. It's, yeah. yeah, just no penalties. As Liz said, no penalties, please. It's you know, I never fair. actually thought we'd end up in a rivalry with anybody, ever. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like a proper sort of, you know, like United had with, you know, Arsenal, Wenger and Ferguson and all that. So to actually feel like... We've got a rivalry with someone, and they're as good as us, and we push each other. It's kind of it's unique. It's a unique experience for me. We're it definitely is. getting Atletico Madrid in the group stages next season. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if they well, qualify, yeah. I, I believe um, Liverpool will get them in a the group stage next season, and I think there'll be some kind of um, retribution for their actions against City. And so Liverpool will play a weakened Atletico team. That's I think that'll play out. They'll be without Savage, for example, who'll be suspended. Uh, that's just how football works. <laughs> um, Score predictions. I'm going to go first and I'm going to go controversial and I'll take all the flack on Twitter, but I think it's going to be 2-1 to Liverpool after extra time. There, I said it. Um, Liz, your score prediction? Well, you see, normally I would never because that would be crazy. That's like superstition. That's that's tempting the gods of, you know, the higher top of the thing. I would never do that. But I, I have no problem with predicting a Liverpool win because that doesn't really affect, you know, that doesn't affect any, you know what I mean? I would never predict that we would win. I would like throw myself on the ground first. Um, but yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's very possible. I think that's very possible. I'd probably take penalties at this point, I'm sorry to say. <sighs> the nerves, I, I, I couldn't take it. Uh, Howard, what about yourself? Yeah, well, my first thought was one all after 90 minutes. Yeah. So I'll go the opposite way, 2-1 to City after extra time. Lovely. Okay, balances out nicely. Um, Okay, we mentioned Fernandinho um, earlier, and he said this week that he's very likely going to be leaving at the end of the season. 
Liz, for you, is that the right decision for both club and player if he does move on? I mean, I I feel that he will end up back at the club in some capacity, yeah. uh, possibly as a coach in a few years. But he basically, he, you know, footballers, it's never the same after you've retired. That's what they all say. You never get back that feeling. So the fact that he wants to carry on playing and he thinks he's got maybe a year, maybe two years still left in him, he's a very fit kind of guy, you know. So if he's not going to get that at City. He's just simply not going to be able to get the kind of games at 37. Mm. So he wants and needs, you know, to go back to Brazil, to go back to his home, to be with his family. I totally get it. It's a shame. I just, I do hope that he comes back. I think he's been kind of extraordinary for us. I mean, nobody possibly thought a guy who'd never played in a major European league that we bought for, what was it, like nearly 30 million quid at the age of 28. I mean, we all thought what, and then the first season he wasn't even that good. And we thought, this is a waste of money. And then suddenly he became this person. He transformed himself into, you know, I think he's now, in, in Premier League history, one of the best players in that position that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of, it's a shame almost that Makaleli exists because, you know, everyone just refers to the Makaleli role and, and you know, to describe that kind of player. Um, Fernandinho, if he'd come along 10 years earlier, people would be saying, calling it the Fernandinho role because he has defined that position, hasn't he? Just covering every inch of uh, grass and phenomenal player uh, and phenomenal achievements and we owe him so much and we always will owe him so much how would how, how good has he been for city yeah well for city at least he's defined the role so i mean he's kind of hung over Rodri, didn't he until and it is in a pep team perhaps the most difficult position of all absolutely i think the easiest way to say it, it seen for a while that he was performing in two different positions or doing two roles or doing the work of two players in many matches for quite a few years. Mm. And what more can you say about that? He, Every defensive midfielder now will be matched up against him to, at City. To, you know, and that could be a problem for anyone. It's like succeeding Pep as a manager. If you succeed in Fernandinho as a defensive midfielder, yeah, you're up against it from the start because he just seemed to be two players on the pitch. Do, do, uh, sorry to interrupt, but do you think that Rodri is a very different type of player to Fernandinho? He is, yeah. I, I'm not saying you should be matched up against him. But I felt the same when Yaya Torre left. It's like, or when he was on the way, and it's like, well, how are we going to replace him? And you don't always have to replace a player with a like for like. Absolutely, how yeah, yeah. Football works, you adapt. In the same way, if we get a striker, we'll adapt to the way we play. Uh, and you don't have to be exactly the same, but if it's the same manager playing the same sort of systems, then obviously Rodri had to do a lot of the similar sort of work. And as Liz said, Fernandin did just come in and define the role immediately. It takes time, like pretty much every pe- player. Yeah, we go on a lot about the second season. And Rodri had to learn that as well. It, it's right. He has. To, he has to go. He's thirty-seven. What in on the day of the second Champions League semi-final? He obviously is not. You know, time's caught with him. He's. We can't rely on him, to, and he can't really take that slot in the squad either. To have him for a few games here and there, where you think he he won't. Where not having the energy he used to have won't be a problem. We can't just have him for five, ten games a 37-year-old, so it is what it is. I'd hoped he'd stay on for coaching and stuff, but of course, they say, this is the toughest part of a player's career, is letting go, really, and he's still at a, a lower level, uh, away from the Premier League, which, you know, the intensity of the Premier League is not for a 37-year-old defensive yeah. midfielder. 
somewhere else, he can definitely still play to high standard and be one of the best players, wherever that may be. So I understand his reasoning. And yeah, I do hope we see him again sometime soon back at the club because he's got so much to offer. Yeah. yeah, Off the pitch as well. I mean, other players talk about what he's offered as a captain. Uh, Yeah, there's a company role basically of how you dealing with young players, being in the dressing room. Just, I mean, if you were in that dressing room, you'd respect him so oh absolutely you'd, you'd listen yeah, yeah. to anything yeah. he told you so and yeah I know there's debate oh state statues and all that sort of thing but why not have a hundred statues outside <laughs> can't have too many statues so. well I mean really if you if you're gonna properly kind of commemorate uh Fernandinho you need what a hundred statues just for him you know all around the ground <laughs> just to kind of you know to demonstrate the, the amount he's covered, the amount of ground he's covered for the club. I found it interesting as well. He commits under an average of under two fouls a game, I think, mm. the stats show. So he's been denigrated as well as like... Been ca- Again, he's another of those players, like you go back to Gareth Barry, you go back to players that, if they don't play for your team, opposition fans seem to have no idea of their work. Well, they stereotype them wrongly, which is yeah. certainly the case. I, of, yeah. And I yeah. guarantee a lot of non-City fans have absolutely no idea just what a phenomenal footballer Fernandinho has been for City. Well said, man. Okay, let's look at our favourite FA Cup memories, particularly the kind of semi-final memories. Um, Liz, I, I put this in the agenda when you saw it. What was kind of the first game that, that sprung to mind? I mean, you know, I'm I'm not a young person. I am 45, but well, I'm yeah, not all old. Same. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, but, you know, obviously the, um, uh, it's funny. I'm, my dad sort of told me these stories about the... Uh, FA Cup, you know, semi, you know, 1981 when he went to the, you know, he went Paul to Villa Power. Park. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he went to the, the amazing Paul Power and he went to Villa Park and he, he saw the goal kind of get deflected in and all that. And, you know, then the, then the final, it all went really wrong. So, you know, um, but the FA Cup memories growing up are not that many because we were not that good, you mm. know, in the 1980s, the 1990s when I was growing up. Um, you know, when the FA Cup coverage used to start at nine o'clock in the morning. Do you remember that? Oh, six glorious. hours of, uh, of uh, the amazing six hours of coverage and we watch it all day and all that. But honestly, it just has to be Torre's goal yeah. um, against United because, you know, to actually... Playing United, you know, has, has never been fun for me. And my whole life, I've just sort of dreaded it. Even now, even now we're better, and even now our record is better against them. I still don't really like it. Uh, I, I don't enjoy playing United. So to play them in the FA Cup semi-final was deeply stressful. And, um, you know, Paul Scholes made his little comeback, didn't he? Do you remember? And, uh, yes. and then he got sent off <laughs> for a ludicrous assault, a Roy Keane, Alfie Harland-level assault, on Zabaleta, uh, and that's my one of my great memories of the day was just seeing that that guy who never said you know a word on the pitch and never said a word in the media his entire career and now just never shuts up at yeah. all. Um, so seeing him get set off was delightful, and then also seeing Torre get the winner was just incredible. Uh, uh, to knock United to stop them from getting to the FA Cup final, you just you could dream of that. That's what you. That's like there's only one Jimmy Grimble playing out in real life. <laughs> I've I've said much to say before now. Actually, that was a daydream of mine, kind of growing up, and and then it actually happened before my eyes. Um, Howard, is there is there any others kind of semi finals beyond City that kind of stick out for you? I mean, when I put this together, I couldn't help but think of the four three. You know, remember Crystal Palace against Liverpool in nineteen ninety? Is that sorry? So have I stole your thunder? Over to you, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I've got to mention 
the semi-final as well was City United as well. Yes. Yeah. As a day, it's one of the greatest days. I think I had to stay in bed for two days afterwards. <laughs> 6am in the Waldorf drinking Guinness and bacon butties that the landlord had put on. And by the time, I can't remember what, does either of you remember what time kickoff was that day? Was it like um, later than 3pm or something? Yeah, was it a five o'clocker? It might have been a five o'clocker. But yeah, I mean, it probably was. And the Green Man by 2pm was like the song or something. There's just casualties <laughs> everywhere. How, how City fans got into the ground that day, I have no idea. Uh, it was absolute carnage. The match itself, of course, just amazing. And just, yeah, an astonishing day that felt You know like what's funny? I would never go to... I would never go to a semi-final at Wembley. I would never go if there was no chance of holding a trophy at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been to every single Carabao Cup final we've done. Those have all been amazing, I must say, though. Well, yeah, I wouldn't no, it, see... it should be at Wembley, but obviously this was our first <laughs> chance that it was against United, so... yeah. Oh, too painful. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's the other. I mean, the thing is, we have our FA Cup record's not that great, is it? We've won it, is it just twice? Yeah, and obviously three takeovers. What was it? The semi against, was it Brighton? That's not going to stand out in the memory, is it? But the semi final against Chelsea was good. Uh, The 2 1 win, unfortunately. Have we only won it twice? Blimey. Yeah, unfortunately, we then lost to Wigan, of course. But the 2 1 win in the semi with that brilliant Aguero header, I think. We beat Stoke and Watford. Those are the two wins. Yep. Yeah. Unless I'm, unless I'm missing something in my COVID football. We're not doing in the 1930s or something. No, we didn't. <laughs> we? No, I mean, I'm talk- obviously, I'm talking about the last 10 years because oh, okay. there's, there's no point in me talking about 1981 either because I was too young. To well, can I just dive in there and, and, and say that's no, my on, very, uh, just very quickly, but that 81 semi final is my earliest life memory. Yeah, I can't. It's, it's, it's true. It's it's actually my oh. first early. I was at my granddad's in Colwyn Bay. My brother supported City. I was too young to support any cl- club at that point. You know, I was six. I just I wanted City to win because my brother would be happy. That was it. You know, uh, and I remember that. That's my f- very first memory. That was Paul Power the free kick. Yeah. Now, anyway. if I'm being honest, my first clear memory is how fitting relegation in '83. So. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, when I was looking through the other ones, 1990 does stand out. The Crystal Palace-Liverpool match is an absolute classic, yeah. is it not? And the same uh, weekend as Oldham 3, United yeah. 3 as well. And the both games, Oldham couldn't get over the line, could they? So that went to a replay, is that right? Yeah. The Oldham-United one. At Main Road, How yeah. perfect would it have been if they'd got past United as well? Uh, the only other one that stands out is that absolute miscarriage of justice for Chesterfield against Liverpool. Yeah. I imagine them getting to the uh, FA Cup final. When I think they were wrongly disallowed a goal at two one up, they were, yeah, and went on. They actually then went three two behind, equalised, but would go out of the competition eventually. Uh, yeah, otherwise, otherwise you just you just tend to think about City ones, but hopefully yeah. they'll be. Also, Ryan Giggs's ridiculous goal. That's oh, the one that, that, that I that think chest. about. Um, oh. that, that um, I think the thing is, is sort of like that's the equivalent for Arsenal fans. They think that's the equivalent for like the Ricky Villa goal, where yeah. if you, where everyone else looks at it and thinks, "Oh wow, amazing!" You know what an incredible goal. But I look at that goal and go, "Wow, that's a that's a lot of bad defending." There is a lot of bad defending going on there. <laughs> and so Arsenal fans feel the same way. I'm sure when they watch that Ryan Giggs goal, and all they see is how bad their defending was all the way through. Yeah, and a lot of bad chest hair as well. Um, it would be quite wrong to do a podcast on April the fifteenth and talk about FA Cup semi-finals, particularly when 
one of the semi-finals against Liverpool this weekend, to not mention that this is the anniversary of Hillsborough. So for all the tribalism, for all the banter, for all the rest of it, for all the rivalry, um, we send our love and solidarity to Liverpool on this day. Um, and that's it, guys. I've, I've really enjoyed that, and I'm feeling a little less nervous about tomorrow. Um, and a great debut, Liz. Well done, and thank you. That's oh, such a pleasure. Thanks so much. And thanks, Howard. Uh, you are, but thanks for having me on. And I think this is, yeah, uh, absolutely second your words. Uh, I think this is also the anniversary, you know, on a much lighter note, obviously, of that semi-final against United. Oh, really? Is it really? I oh, well, it just that. came up on my Facebook memories about me on my way there. So, yeah, there you go. Right. Okay. Um, well, that's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to bite our nails, pray to a deity we don't believe in, and think about little else but the game for the next 24 hours. As superstitions go, it's not ideal, but it's worked against Liverpool in recent years. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, be well, and forever up the cup-winning blues.